Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast, which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. Today, we are delighted to have a man from my own homeland, Michael Coolwood, who is a disabled non-binary author who is here to talk to us all about invisible and visible representation of disabled people. I'm very, very excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Where are you based? Uh, London, the Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs, beautiful. Yeah. With fewer, fewer dogs there than is advertised. Oh, mate, you would be surprised. I went, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, but there were a lot of lockdown dogs. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and then it's because we have just so much housing on this on the island, which was designed to for bankers, and then a lot yeah. of the banks moved away because Brexit, and now so like <laughs> they've all been filled up with people who want to actually live there, and a lot of them have dogs, and it's amazing. <laughs> I love that. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing well. Thanks, Roland. And uh, thank you for uh, coming on, Michael. Yeah. Um, you know, as uh, Roland said, this is a, a great topic because, you know, this is something that a lot of authors, um, I think, struggle with in terms of, you know, if they want to represent uh, disability in their books, they're unsure how to do it. And, um, you know, for somebody with a disability, it might seem uh, easier. I, I don't know if easier is the right word, but um, in the sense that uh, you you probably don't feel like you have as much chance of getting it wrong and, and, and offending people, right? Whereas somebody who might want to, to portray uh, a disabled uh, character, they would be maybe concerned that they are not getting it right. And so then they maybe did want to employ sensitivity readers or uh, such like that. So um, anyways, let's uh, start off with you telling us a bit about yourself and, um, you know, what uh, what led you to becoming a writer. And um, I don't know if we've lost him there. I'm still here. Oh, okay. Your video's gone. <laughs> no yeah. worries. Um, so what, what led you to sort of becoming a writer? And uh, you can talk about your disability if you want. Um, and then we'll sort of jump into it from there. Okay. So I'm approaching 40. have written, I think it's six books so far. I've got a stack of them. Um, two, two fantasy, three science fiction, one sort of modern set, cozy mystery. Um, so when I started writing, I didn't know about the disability, but it was very much a way of like coping with it because uh, I was in the process of several, several uh, extended uh, disability-related flameouts at work. Um, so yeah, at first we thought it, I just had depression, the common cold of disability, uh, and then it turned out there was more stuff going on, which uh, currently we know about ADHD, um, and suspected autism and CPTSD. Uh, and so like that, that's a very common experience to have depression as a secondary symptom of other stuff. Um, so yeah, for 10, 12 years, I, we, I've been sort of diving into this whole thing, had a load of therapy. Uh, King's College Hospital in the UK gave me a massive dose of psilocybin, the psychoactive compound in magic mushrooms to deal with my depression, which it did. I was very surprised. Um, yeah, they get, uh, there was this massive, I think it's running in the States as well, or it was, uh, a study where they were giving people with treatment-resistant depression a load of psilocybin. And it was a very cool experience. Um, 
I've heard so, a lot about that actually. That's quite this this is almost a different podcast topic of yeah, itself because I'm super, super into learning about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan. Um yeah, so got dosed with psilocybin to deal with the depression. And then once that was gone, we started learning about all the other stuff. Um and so there's a stage authors go through where they want to sort of use more and more autobiographical material. And I've been told that everyone goes through it and it's fine. It's embarrassing, but we need to move on. Um, so a book I self-published last year that started writing five years ago, something like that, uh, which is called Hungry Dark. This thing. Um, the central conflict of that book is a fantasy book where the uh the protags go on a, a dark descent through an underground city with cannibalistic darkness and the central thing the protagonist has to go up against is a series of well in, yeah a cluster of negative symptoms which make her life hell uh many of which were based on my own at the time although the study the psilocybin thing cleared a bunch of those out um so that got published last year uh, to middling reviews. Um, and this is your sixth book? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. One of the things I've been able to do consistently, no matter how bad my health is, is write. And I have learned I am very, 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 very lucky with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I wish I had that problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so many people like really struggle with the blank page and just getting the work done. Whereas, so when I, I used to work for a hospital and when I was there, I was, my attention was just bouncing off the work. I couldn't engage with it, um, which is, uh, there's a, a phenomenon with ADHD called the wall, a wall of awfulness where um, there is something you want to do, but it's on the other side of this wall and you have to, like break through the wall using willpower or you can climb over it using coping strats. Um, breaking through uses willpower. You only have a limited supply of willpower, which needs to be replenished. And I didn't know about any of the coping strats. So I had used up all my willpower to try and engage with this quite boring administrative work. Um, so one of the only things I could do at the job when I was like staring at my screen, like wanting to die, uh, a joke, but also not, uh, was start writing. Um, because it was very much like, I can open a document and just write like a page and just lose myself in fiction for a bit and then give it another go, or I can cry and go home. So that led to like me finishing my first uh, novel while I was there, um, which got published by an independent press, which has since gone out of business, which sadly is the case for a lot of them. Um, but yeah, so because my initial experience writing was the amorphous blob of horrifying existence which comes as a result of a series of undiagnosed conditions or writing I very much turned to writing as a as a way to cope um and given that i've also struggled with alcoholism in the past that's probably a better approach um so yeah i'm very lucky with that yeah I think a lot of uh, we've talked about this in the in the past. I think uh, Roland's written a blog about it as well. It, a lot of authors, disability aside, use writing as a as a way to work through issues and problems. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. That this was something that helped you as well. Hashtag therapy dupe. <laughs> 
Oh man, yeah. If you can't afford therapy, like working through it through writing is there's there's a, a an exercise which some of us get given, which is if you have people you've hurt in the past or have hurt you, write letters to them and don't send them. And that's a like a really good exercise just for writing generally, but also makes you feel a lot better. Well, in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. So in your book, um, did you, you mentioned sort of adding some autobiographical elements. Yeah. So so you have some characters that have uh, similar disabilities, I guess. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so yeah. Um, the protag is dealing with chronic fatigue symptoms, which is persistent, like tiredness, which isn't removed by rest. Um, cognitive issues where the brain sort of refuses to function and you have x hours of being able to think clearly in a day and you can burn through that quickly and it really and then once your your sort of your ability to think starts to taper off and then crater really badly and persistent low mood despair um in the in the thing the protag uh is a is a witch uh in my in my world which is um activate their powers by consuming bones and she uh can create light uh from any point on her body uh which as someone who lives near an underground city full of cannibalistic darkness is very useful but it's also the only place she feels useful so for the rest of her existence like on the surface world she feels completely useless because she's uh sort of rendered immobile a lot of the time by her uh, disabilities and when she is mobile she can't do a massive amount so she's got the place where she's useful which is where like she's constantly fighting for her life or a place where she's not feeling useful which is life on the surface there was a sort of maladaptive thing i was doing with it at the time because i was feeling badly about writing in the industry in general where one of the pro uh, like uh, one of the themes i was toying within the thing was art is self-harm which is a thing I'm very glad to have moved on from. That it's I find that very interesting because a lot of people I speak to with ADHD is like the thing that makes them feel that worthwhile is having something where they feel useful, and yes. that's why so many so many people with ADHD like thrive in the service industry or yeah. or bartending or something like that. It's like this is oh wow this is like where me being able to think of six things all at the same time and and it's. Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. And I love the way you put that into a story because I think people who read that, they're like, oh, I get this. This is me. I, yeah, I, I have that same experience, but I went to work in a care home, which made me feel really useful. But also care homes in the UK are a nightmare because they're all privately run. And so they're being assets tripped by the people who own them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, um. So I th- I guess in this particular book, I don't know about your other ones, but it sounds mm. like you've sort of um, used like an allegory yeah. to sort of uh, mim- mirror the, the you know, real life disabilities that other people have. And you put it into this witch and, and her, uh, her experience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I used, uh, God, I use Esperanto when I want to come up with terminologies because it's a non-culturally uh associated uh, uh language so i called it cascado disorder which is just cascade um because... you actually speak esperanto I've God, no, no 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 oh, okay um, <laughs> i talked to language like... that no one speaks okay <laughs> yeah this was um i wrote some of this bit while i was on my honeymoon in japan so it was originally like quite blatantly set there um 
but I spoke to some industry people and the industry people said, no, you can't do that. Publishers won't take on books set in Japan written by white guys because they want every book that's set in Japan to be written by a Japanese, but like person of Japanese ethnicity. And that last bit's cool. But the other point of it is their sort of unspoken assumption that readers will uh, engage with books uh, with characters called Mary and Clive all day, that anyone called Mamiko will make the reader run to the hills. I can't possibly read two books a year with someone called uh, Sakurashi Mamai. No, it's not allowed. <laughs> Well, I think the fact that traditional publishing is circling the toilet bowl, uh, yeah. one of the thing is these rules that they come up with are so arbitrary and, and so not derived from reality. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's, well, I mean, the, the thing, yeah, I, I confirmed with sort of a couple of sensitivity readers where they confirmed that, yeah, traditional publishers have what is essentially a slot system for their diverse books. So they have no interest in making the space actually more diverse. They just want to have what little diversity there is occupied by uh, uh, stakeholder writers. And that last bit's yeah. a good But otherwise, that's just the dictionary definition of tokenism. Absolutely. Which is not ideal. We have this problem a lot with disability, getting onto the thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And I mean, so so that's one way to... Um, it's interesting, because that's one way to, to handle Like, I, I, I had figured that you had written and maybe some of your other books had this where they were more um, set in the real world where the, the characters would have the same disability or like a, a regular disability, not necessarily in a fantasy setting where you're sort of like mirroring it in, in sort of a different form. Right. Um, so it's interesting because that's, that's sort of a, a good way to, to handle it. I think it's not even a way that I even thought about yeah, it gives us a sort of plausible deniability aspect to it, where if you click with it, you click with it. Um, I, so the one book I did that was set in the real world, the protag has an anxiety disorder, which I had for a bit, but psilocybin cleared it right out, which I'm grateful for, because anxiety is a really nasty thing to have hanging around. Um, and what I learned with that was, my that, uh, that was independent published as well, the publisher uh, left a fair few notes on the manuscript, like querying uh, aspects. So in the, the book, the, if a protag gets overwhelmed, she often passes out for a bit, like not like where she's standing, but she has to like retreat to her room and like completely shut down for about 45 minutes and then go back to trying to solve this mystery. And the publisher was like, why are they doing this? Do these people have narcolepsy? I'm like, oh, is is the way I live my life a little bit unusual? Okay, noted. The muggles don't get it. Yeah, but, um, no, they don't. Um, I I, I love, but I I really love this idea, and it's weird that I never even really thought about it in terms of you know building these things into a to a fantasy character sort of allows you to explore these these disabilities and like you said if you click with it you click with it which means you know or the, what i take it to mean is people that that understand those things when they read that character they'll get it they'll be like okay you know this is this is mirroring it but what you've done which i think is is genius is that you've you've made the book accessible to a wider audience those those people that that wouldn't want to read a book about a disabled person 
they would but they're reading this fantasy and they don't recognize that they'll just say well that's the quirks of this character that's her power that's the way she works in this fantasy realm and i think that that really has has made you sort of build a book that has uh that that can reach a much much wider audience than if it was sort of like somebody who is in uh, you know disabled person because i think that a lot of people have their own pre preconceptions about that and they'd be like well i don't want to read that right so you know whether you did that on purpose or not i think it's i think it's genius <laughs> yeah well so that was the goal so with the hungry dark what i wanted to do was focus in on trying to make something which could be commercially successful because i was still trying to trying to uh, get an agent at that point i mean i'm not we're not averse to the idea currently but yeah that i was really focusing on that with this book um, and that was before someone had a quite long chat with me about re-evaluating my priorities. But so I wanted to to make something that had this quite wide uh, appeal, wide audience like possibility, right? So, um, but what I came across was whenever I talked to an industry person, so I had a couple of editors, um, and I uh, um, a, a place did a scout read for me uh, to see if it was worth picking up being picked up by this outfit and they didn't seem to get the disability stuff like at all so um the scout in particular really just they, they gave me a really long report and don't get me it was an incredible report he made some really really amazing points but he didn't mention the protagonist's journey from maladaptive coping strategies through connection through uh friendship and community and like trying to form a better relationship with herself and her own symptoms to uh not being healthy because you know that's a whole thing which we can get to but to being in a place finally where she might be able to give herself space to recover that stuff was just not mentioned at all and that and this was reflected by one of my other editors uh, in the, the book, the Protags, uh, hovering on the edge of suicidal ideation a couple of times. And she, uh, th this editor said, I think that if this character is in her 30s, which she, uh, she was supposed to be, um, then she would have either uh, <laughs> taken her own life or got over it, um, which was spicy um because th those were the symptoms i was dealing with at the time and i was uh, early 30s um so the industry people i talked with really seemed to bounce off the mental health stuff hard and that was reflected in the reviews i got for the thing can i give you the, can i give you these two quotes that i think are instructive absolutely perfect so these I've got two quotes from reviews that I got, and I I really need to say by the way, I it's like the people that didn't like this thing is entirely possible. I did a terrible job with actually writing the thing. Like the text might be bad, so I'm not like this. This first person I'm going to read from, like I I disagree with. But that's not to say that she's wrong. To I don't know. That's, that's not to say that they're wrong for like disliking the book. It's fine. Um, I just don't want to like present as someone who's like angry that their book got bad reviews. It's like it's fine. I've written bad books in the past. Um, so. Uh, quote number one is, um, the book mentions Melita suffers from a chronic illness, and whilst the des descriptions of her actual symptoms are very well done, the illness herself itself seemed to affect her hardly after the first chapter. I think including more of the struggles would have helped flesh Melita out a bit more as a character, as I found her hard to connect with. Her actions also felt rather nonsensical and even contrary at times. 
uh, which was quite frustrating to read. I didn't really understand her stoic pacifism as it often came across like blunt stupidity and self-sacrifice without good reason. And we contrast this one to uh, another reviewer who said, my only real critique is in the writing itself, which almost seemed a little too earnest. Starting with the subtitle and going forward from there, the subtitle is Monsters, Magic and Rad Radical Empathy. Uh, I appreciate the themes and ideas being explored, ideas of pacifism, self-worth, fitting in selflessness and working uh, for others, depression, chronic pain, disability, equality, and so on. I think they're important and glad to see them, but they felt over-discussed. There were constantly explicit words being put to these ideas instead of trusting in the writing and the readers both to get the message without repeatedly saying it. Now, I think n both of those can't be true at the same time. That's too earnest is quite uh, like, that's, that's, a, that's a weird criticism to have. No, I, I agree with him. I, I think I... I think he's bang on. Um, so what I did as a result of these uh, these industry people not really getting the mental health stuff is I made it kind of as straightforward and explained as I can I could. Um, so like there was this character who shows up about halfway through the book who is supposed to be this sort of mirror to the protagonist to like show where she could be if she continues on the path that she's on. Um, and I rewrote her in a as, as a result of his feedback to refer to her as a twin to the protagonist. And like, that's how I like blatantly, I thought I was doing. And, but so we, the, we have the case now where the book has published is kind of neither one thing nor the other, like, uh, neurotypical people who are people without mental health problems don't quite understand the symptoms as they are on the page whilst people who do get it uh think it's over discussed and like too blatant um which is an interesting position to be in and has left me with a bit of a question mark as to the depiction of visible and invisible disabilities if my uh time spent on disability instagram is anything to go by it's people seem to get uh, fairly straightforward disabilities well enough. There's a, a, a Instagram, a YouTuber, TikTok called Footless Joe. It, uh, this woman has a below the knee amputation on her right leg, I think. And she's got a lot of content about what it's like to live with that. And her life is complicated and the chronic pain she goes through sounds awful and i would absolutely hate to have it but it also feels i cannot i feel as if i get it reasonably well from the way she talks about it there are interesting quirks so she has to uh put a have a uh, sort of i think it's neoprene interface between her uh amputation and the prosthetic leg she has and that doesn't breathe it's not breathable fabric so when she takes it off at the end of the day it stinks um and it's that sort of disability that uh really leads life to a character especially when they're put on the page but my uh the problem that i've had with hungry dark and things moving on is taking a an invisible disability in my case mental stuff and putting it on the page there, like, the, there is a massive variance in how people experience depression, which is a very common condition, even before. And so 
one person who has, so, oh God, sorry, started three thoughts and then stopped them. There's a, a comedian in the UK called Susan Kalman. She's excellent. She's written a book called about depression called Cheer Up Love. And I read it when I was fully depressed. And her experience of depression is more or less opposite to mine. And so when there's that much variance in just depression, I think we struggle to put on the page the symptoms in a way where they're explainable to people who don't get them. So we can focus on catering to the normies <laughs> or, or the uh, people who live with these things. And I don't have an answer for that. I think it's a tricky one. Well, I, I find that very interesting. I think one of the things that's exciting about hearing about what you're doing, and I think things that have resonated with me about book, because, I mean, uh, Craig and I, like, we're both uh, no strangers to sort of ADHD and uh, things like that. I think it's one of the things that leads you into writing. But it is interesting when you have a, a description of a character, and maybe they don't be like, here, here are my labels. They're just like, <laughs> these are the behaviours that challenge me as the story mm. progresses. And you can relate to that because... You know, that's that's something that you've experienced as well. And it's like and but you're right. If for, for people who don't experience those challenges, it might be really confusing. It's kind of like, yeah. what do you mean the character like decided to go off and lock themselves in a room for 45 minutes and yeah. not speak to anybody and stare at the wall? That's not yeah. what normal people do. And it's like, no, that's not what normal people do. However, that's what a lot of people do if they have certain things going on. And to some people who read that, it will be like, oh, I get it. That's really real to me. And other yeah. people will just be scratching their head. So there's and I guess, uh, Well, I was just going to say, like, I, th I think the other issue that you're mentioning, if I understand, is that even amongst the people that, that have those things, uh, there's such a variety in the symptoms that they might experience that they still might not uh, be able to uh, completely connect because they'll be like, well, I have that and I don't have those symptoms. I have completely different ones. And then Maybe. they're like, you know, so. Yeah. so. The thing about that side of things is, is uh, disability, uh, disability is a magnetic condition a lot of the time, uh, as is being queer or having gender stuff going on. People tend to cluster. So I with the common conditions, especially like depression, you uh, if you live with it and have a bunch of friends who do, you'll have swapped stories about this sort of thing. So even if you don't, if that's not your, if those aren't your symptoms, you'll probably know someone whose symptoms they are. Um, but that falls, that idea falls apart with the less common conditions. Like a cup, uh, I, I have experienced drug-induced psychosis. And one of my buddies had psychosis induced by something else, but we were both, it was both momentary. It only happened once uh, for quite a short period of time. And so we're sort of hovering at the end of the, like the edge of the psychosis pool, having dipped our toes and going, Oh, I didn't enjoy that. And so it, for me, at least psychosis, which is hearing uh, and seeing and feeling things that aren't there. Uh, as well as some other things that feel it's a very like scary idea to me just because I didn't enjoy it at all surprise um so yeah it it might feel if I was to read a, a, a protagonist who had uh psychosis it might have the problem that you were talking about Craig where it feels <clears throat> a little bit alienating and distancing but just because of it's so far from my everyday experience. 
There's right. that, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. There's a model to tackle this, which is to make your protagonist disabled have a very specific disability, and no one else really lives with any disabilities, and so the all the other characters are normies, and so the protag has to explain to everyone else the challenges that they face, and so there's much more stuff dealt with. Uh, on yeah dealt with in dialogue and they come across specific situations where the disability is a roadblock whereas in my thing which might have been a mistake the everyone kind of knows that the protag has issues uh that they sometimes need to deal with and so is very understanding which means that there's not a lot of dialogue about um yeah specific challenges that need to be overcome that yeah i that's a really it's a really that's challenging knife edge to like balance on this yeah. and yeah, it, i mean that sounds like a, it, a that's the way to i guess sometimes when we watch shows uh, people use um that uh so, so I, I guess the, there's a uh, there's a common criticism that people use for for and nothing to do with with disabilities necessarily mm. but when people sort of complain that you know you're 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 telling more than showing, right? And mm. uh, so you, you end up having have this big exposition about what's happening when you people are like, "Well, you should just show it through your actions," right? But but I guess that's the quandary you're in is that yep. you can't for this kind of a thing very easily. It's tricky. I've never been in a wheelchair, for example. Uh, but if you see someone in a wheelchair, there's like an immediate understanding of you can uh, people who with empathy. <laughs> can understand why that will be a problem they won't get a lot of the nuance and they there will be surprising things such as not everyone in a wheelchair needs to be in there the whole time um that's where we come in yeah the the visible versus invisible stuff ah it's It's, i mean i think mainstream media and mainstream publishing stuff it's like we want to have representation of disabled mm. people in books however they have to fit very much into these neat little compartments it's like yep. you know they're in a wheelchair and these are these are the things that we can have them do but we can't yeah exactly they can't suddenly get them stand up and walk around or something like that yeah, yeah. because then people will get confused i thought they're in a wheelchair and it's like right. yes they want to compartmentalize people and so yep. what you said earlier about you know it's not really diversity or representation it's more like it's more like we've got a we've got a very particular box that we can fit a very particular type of person in and then we can pat ourselves on the back and say like we've done it representation represent oh my god Uh, yeah i love representation isn't it interesting though that you know people are so much about uniqueness and about I'm so different than everyone. Everyone is a different person, et cetera, et cetera. And then you you say, well, this person has this disability. And they're like, well, it should be exactly this one thing then. <laughs> it's kind of like they don't see that there are now are the individuals that have their the disabilities in different ways, just like we're all different people. That's uh, It's interesting that, you know, people don't make that sort of uh, mental shift, yeah. Um, yeah. unfortunately. Well, I mean, we, we, yeah, we know this. Like, I'd like to think that everyone who wants to engage with diversity generally knows that one of the valuable things from doing that 
is we get to experience different narratives or the same narrative seen through a completely different lens. So it's a really powerful thing, which tends, yeah, if we approach mainstream, uh, things tends to get homogenized and beaten into shape. The fun thing with disability specifically is it's really rare to have multiple disabled characters who take up, who you know, like, occupy major roles. I was trying to, I was looking through my library going, ah, has any of these books where the majority of characters, at least 51%, have a disability? And that would be unusual because disabilities affect a decent amount of the population, but nowhere near as much as, say, women. Um, but it means we, in fiction, are always kept in this space where disability is unusual and noteworthy. That's interesting. I was just trying to think that, yeah, where does it, because when people have books like that, that's like, you know, you want these people to fit into a role. And I was just thinking one book I read, written in the 70s by Anne McCaffrey, who was a science fiction and fantasy author. I think it was called Pegasus in Flight. And it was about um, kids who had disabilities. There was one who was paralyzed from the neck down, Mm. for example, who uh, were uh, trained in how to use psychic powers. And, uh, you know, they were, they were like, it was a, a great book because he was paralyzed from the neck down. However, by able to, by doing this, you know, he was able to sort of quote unquote overcome. It was kind of like a broad brush, but it was interesting. That was one of the first books in which I read about characters who were disabled, who were the protagonists of the story. And it is a very rare thing. You're right. That sounds rad. Um, it, it's sort of, well, you, you, we brought this thing up, which I, uh, so yeah, people quote unquote overcoming their disability. Oh boy, that's a whole thing. Um, and also the other uh, relatively unhelpful thing which tends to crop up in these books is um, the idea that my suffering made me strong. Yes. Uh, that crops up a lot. And it's <laughs> they, they, Oh, they always say like, uh, yeah, that doesn't, which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And it's like, you know, God, maybe I'm strong enough already. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And it sort of alienates people who are really suffering because they're sitting there going, didn't make me strong. It broke me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. On the bad days, that's been me. Um, But yeah, overcoming disability. I mean, daredevil, the guy who's blind and, but so blind he can actually see because he's got bat style echolocation. But maybe comic books aren't the fairest thing to bring into this because it's not going to be like the best examples. Um, there's a definite trope in romance novels where it's like, oh, mm. the hero is in a wheelchair, and then towards the end of the book, it's like, oh, magically he's oh, in a wheelchair. No. he was just really, really sad, and now he's not, so he can walk again. That was an episode of House. There was a, a when House was committed to an addiction unit for the first couple episodes, I think, of series six. There was a woman in there who was completely withdrawn and wouldn't engage with world outside. And so one of the characters just gave this woman a box that had been taken away from her. And she then emerged and was able to start engaging with life again. (laughs) (laughs) On the one hand, it's kind of cute because people really want disability to have an easy answer to it. Nah. Yeah. So, I played a video game in 2012, which was set in a school for disabled teens. And it really clicked with me because 
well, I didn't know about my disabilities at the time, but I've since worked out, yeah, I hadn't ever encountered something where disability was normal and it sucked and everyone knew it sucked, but it was never the most important thing that was happening at any one time. They all had other things going on. Um, whereas, yeah, the, the, the thing I've struggled to find is fiction because that's my main thing, but any, any other form of art really where which has this same attitude to disability, which is accepting and open and going, yeah, like this really sucks, but I know you have other stuff going on. Um, and like th a community of like-minded people, whereas in the books I've read with, dis with, a, with disabled characters, the disability is always something that needs to be overcome. They live in an able-bodied world, uh, which is sort of designed for people who don't have disabilities like the world we currently live in. And it's just a real shame that in science fiction and fantasy worlds where we could imagine anything we wanted to, we still just mirror uh, 21st century ableism, basically. Except, well, in science fiction, people tend to write disabilities out, which is interesting. And people have thoughts on that. Yeah. I guess the idea is that in the future we would have solutions to yeah. them all. <laughs> well yeah exactly it's so and sometimes that's fine and sometimes it drifts into being eugenics-y um, i was gonna say like there's yeah. just, nobody has Agreed. autism in star trek it's interesting how that happens exactly <laughs> yeah um have you guys encountered the medical model of disability versus the social model no all right medical medical model of disability uh says that disability is a medical problem it's like cancer it's something which needs treating Whereas the social model of disability is, uh, I have ADHD, ADHD is a disability, but the social model of disability says, there is nothing wrong with me as a person. ADHD has a lot of downsides, it has a lot of upsides. One of the reasons why I have quite so many ideas for books, for example, is because my brain is just constantly pinging between subjects. But the way society is structured here and now means it's disabling. So I, all these, um, at, at smartphone things like uh, all the social media, all the advertising, that's all designed to work on neurotypical people. But ADHD people often have serious, oh God, impulse control issues. That's what it's called. And so that's just a microcosm of how like a world set up not for people with these problems is disabling. Yes. That's for, I, you know, I had a character in a book who didn't have a cell phone because uh, he just never had a cell phone. And then he gets forced to have a cell phone and he gets addicted to online poker with it because because he has. And it's, you never mention it as a thing that he has ADHD, but he does. Yeah. And it just yeah. happens like that. Immediately he gets like zoned in on that because it's instant dopamine. It's like crack. Oh, man, that's rad. There are so <laughs> few like good depictions of ADHD that I've come across. At least, yeah, Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine-Nine does a oh, lot yes. of things. That very, well, so, like, he has a bathtub full of mail that he hasn't opened, which makes Amy Santiago have a heart attack. Um, <laughs> but that's very much like, yeah, not opening your mail because you're slightly worried about what's in there. That's <laughs> I've done that. It's like if you don't yeah. respond to a text message within a day, it's like, I'm never speaking to this person again. I'll just remove them from my life. Yeah, that's it now. We can't, yeah, we can't engage with that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I've got a, a buddy who can't talk to one of their friends now because every time I message them, the 
a friend messages back, what's wrong? What's happening? You only talk to me really rarely. Something must have gone wrong. <laughs> That's the way my mom says whenever I call her. <laughs> I think um, one of the really exciting things about self-publishing, though, as opposed yeah. to traditional publishing, is it gives people like the opportunity to write about these things, publish yeah. them, ostensibly put them out to the same audience as mainstream publishing. And it's just yep. a case then of like, how can we get people to find these books? Because I think if they do, it mm. resonates with them. Yeah. So my approach, I'm, I'm supposed to be self-publishing a thing later this year where, where disability is core to the book, but not core to the story. And this time I'm taking the opposite approach, which is I am not, I'm just writing this and not worrying about how much I should be explaining to the audience. And I'm going to be interested to see where that goes. So to anyone who wants to write about disability, oof, you've got a decision to make there. How much to explain, how much to engage with the literal day-to-day ways of living versus just having disability be in a character's life the same way their family are, for example. So someone might have a, a family very heavily involved in their life some people might be really distant from their family and ways of living like that is it's just kind of disability like people find ways around disability all the time it's a cliche that able-bodied people say to disabled people uh i'm really inspired by how well you're coping with this thing which i'd really struggle with and it's patronizing and awful but at the same time like it they don't quite get that that's you're talking to someone just living their life. And so if someone wanted to write a fancy novel with a really disabled protagonist, they might find an interesting approach to be just having the disability be not really mentioned whilst the protags just bumbling about doing their thing until the crisis moment where they're thrown into an unusual situation and suddenly they're facing challenges they weren't expecting. Yeah, that's a really... Craig, you look... yeah. were you just about to say something? Because I was just about to jump in with a... Comp- Attention oh, well, I, I was just I was just thinking that you know it, it it's um, I think what some people will also have to decide is is the idea and, and it's unfortunate but the idea of whether they want to try to write and this is something that you said mm-hmm. you have done as well a, a commercially successful book versus one that is um, more just exploring disability and and making that something that they just really really want to talk about and unfortunately a lot of times those two don't necessarily intersect so easily um and so if they might have to make those sort of trade-offs where they say okay i want to make it um commercially successful so i have to have the you know protagonist overcome their disability Mm -hmm. or they have to or, or something right where you know that's not ideal uh and it's sad that we sort of are in this state where that's sort of the trade-off you have to maybe make yeah yeah no i completely agree it's it's yeah i'm i i don't envy anyone that particular agents always say on their website that they are really like keen to amplify uh marginalized voices and disabilities in there a decent amount so I suppose, yeah, because the, the temptation is to say that the restrictions uh, will come in from agents and publishers and things, and they will say, can you tone this down a bit or can can the protagonist get better at the end of the book? 
So maybe don't worry about it before uh, people tell you to change stuff. But at the same time, uh, plenty of uh, people will run a mile at the at something in the novel that they don't get because they have to be the absolute champions of this work. So if they if they don't quite click with uh, someone with schizoaffective disorder, for example, the lived experience of that on the page, then that's going to prevent, it's going to stand as a barrier between the work and commercial success. I don't envy anyone doing that. I mean, listen, it's not to say that you can't be commercially successful yep. writing about stuff in a in a realistic way. There's plenty of examples yep. of big books and movies that that had protagonists that had disabilities that that went on to be successful. It's just yep. sometimes there's that trade-off. You, you know, we talk we've talked about this many times where when I was writing, um, I specifically wrote romance because romance sells much easier and is easier for me at least to write. And I was able to write it quicker than, than writing stuff that I personally would rather read, which mm. is self fiction and fantasy and, and that sort of thing, because, you know, it would take much longer for me to write those books and, and there's not as big of an audience and it's a harder sell. So I made that decision to, you know, for commercially to, to be able to make money, I wrote romance. Right. And it's sort of that same sort of thing. You can certainly try and and, and you should try to, to, to be authentic. But, you know, sometimes people will make that decision to say, I'm going to make, sh you know, I want to I want to put every I want to make every chance I can give my book every chance I can mm -hmm. to be commercially successful. So I'm going to take these little trade offs. But that doesn't mean you have to. It's just, you yeah. know, it's just like, you know, gives a I better chance. I think one of the beautiful things about self-publishing, though, is to be a successful self-published author, you don't need to be commercially successful to the degree that you do as a, as a traditional published author. And if you have uh, Nick Stevenson is a self-published author and he has this idea of 10,000 readers. But hmm. if you have 10,000 readers, you can make a six figure salary being a self-published author. And 10,000 readers in the grand scheme of things in publishing is nothing. That's a drop in the ocean. So if you can find those 10,000 people who dig exactly what it is that you sell, then you have yourself a career. And there, there it is almost like drilling down into the niche is, this, is the, the way to be successful rather than doing what traditional publishers do, which is try to appeal to the broadest number of people ever. The, the, more, the broader the number of people you try to appeal to, in the end, the, the less impact it has. I agree completely. There's a there's a TV show called We Are Lady Parts, which was on Channel Four. It's a uh, all women Muslim punk band, and towards the end of the series, they uh, have a hit piece about them in the press, and so they just get a flood of uh, awfulness on social media, and they're all just going, "Shut it down! We can't do this anymore." But their band manager works through all the hate. Uh, like thousands of hours of hateful comments to single out for going, look, this person loved it, this person loved it, this person loved yeah. it. And that's what I'm trying to focus on with the Hungry Dark, which is the disabled one. We're, so, like, try and focus in on the people who did click with those elements and focus in on them. Because, yeah, it didn't do super well. It's not massively surprising. Plenty of things don't do super well. And writing might have been crap. Who can say? Um, but, yeah, like, focusing in on, yeah, building that fan base, getting the people, like, Finding the people who do click with the work focused me in on why I write in the first place, which is to create work that I'm proud of, and it would be nice if people read it. Um, and yeah, yeah, focus on what matters, which is that you've made 
work you're proud of, and also some readers are enjoying it. And so, yeah, as yeah, as you say, and the the bar is lower for self-publishing. Although, yeah, obviously, it's still hard to do, which is why I'm quite so grateful for hidden gems and book sirens. But we don't talk about them because they're a competitor. <laughs> Oh, we can talk about them. We just have to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this unfortunately we are reaching the top of the hour, but this seems like a good a good position to wrap things up because it ended yeah. on kind of a hopeful note. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Michael. I think it's been really fascinating, and I've loved the perspective you've you've brought into it. And I think you know certain things you mentioned resonate with with Craig and myself. So, great. Before we ask Michael to give all his contact details and where people can find his books and stuff, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, you know, I feel the same way. Like I, 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 like you said, we both struggle with ADHD as well. And uh, you know, for me, it's like if, when I discovered Adderall, that was a <laughs> game changer for me. I didn't have that as a, as a kid, and I you know, struggled in school to, to focus and stuff. And I think back now, like I could, I couldn't function in my daily work life without it. Uh, you know, days where I forget to take it or whatever, I, I get nothing done. Right, and um, so. And, and it, but it's hard for other people to understand that. And so that's one of those in, invisible things. They're like, well, just sit down and focus. Like, why can't you just do it, right? So, you know, yeah. I get I get the idea of, um, you know, how how hard it is to sort of portray that in your, in your books and have people really understand it and without sort of really, really calling it out and being all mm-hmm. expository and saying, oh, you know, this is uh, having a character who I don't understand. Well, let me explain this to you. Really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I really think that there's a lot of uh, really useful information here. And, and as Roland pointed out, it, it, it's true. You don't have to, with self-publishing, you don't, you maybe don't have to make those trade-offs between authenticity and commercial success because you you don't need as many um readers to to find you just have to find them right and but you know that takes time but but that takes time for for people writing about regular stuff too right so you once you find those readers if if they become you know focused on your books then and and buying all your books then that's all you really need so um yeah well so anyways thanks for for coming on this has really really been interesting uh, hell yeah i'm, I'm just really pleased to be able to talk about this stuff because one of the problems with presenting disability in media is it just doesn't get talked about that much so i'm really i'm really pleased to be able to come on and talk thank you well before we wrap things up michael where can people find your books find more about you oh okay my website's coolwoodbooks.com cool the word cool wood for word wood and then books.com um and they're on amazon i wish they weren't but yeah uh god i think you can get one or two of them on hive which is a much nicer um independent retailer in the uk um but yeah cool books and there's a lot of stuff about disability on there if anyone was interested by the uh medical trial i talked about with the psilocybin thing there's a whole breakdown on there of uh, how that came to be what it was like and the results uh so if that's interested anyone go have a look I'm fascinated by that. I had a, a whole book and it got kicked off with two veterans with PTSD taking um, hallucinogenics to try and get mm-hmm. over it. And then, so anyway, that's a, that's a topic for another day. But Michael, thank you so much for joining us. If Guys, if you're listening to this and you've appreciated what Michael has to say, then please scroll down and leave him a comment and give him some love. And while you're down there, you might as well also give us some love and hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. There's a bell icon that will notify you every time we have a new episode of Fully Booked. And of course, we will have a new episode of Fully Booked next week. So uh, until then, thank you very much for joining us.